The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Good day, everyone, and welcome again to another edition of Boomer Generation Radio. This is your host, Richard Address, coming to you from the beautiful studios of WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia. And we're streaming live on WWDBAM.com. You can reach the show at Boomer Generation Radio at gmail.com and also like us on the Boomer Generation Radio Facebook page. And as a reminder, the shows are archived and as a podcast on my website, uh, jewishsacredaging.com. Today's a big day to talk about retirement. We have some very interesting conversation with two very interesting guests, and they'll be with us to start the ball rolling on our first segment right after this message from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services in eight states that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Please join us in together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to our first segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, and we are very pleased to welcome to the microphone from the beautiful state of Ohio, I think, uh, Virgil Hoftizer. Dr. Hoftizer, are you there? I am, thank you. Hey, good to hear your voice. How's Ohio today? You're in Ohio, right? Correct, correct. It's warm, but um, it's it's uh, August. Yeah, well, it's going to be better than 20 degrees and blowing snow in a couple of months, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so as far as I'm concerned, I can stay this way every day because uh, it's baseball weather, not that we play it here anymore. But anyway, um, enough of that. Welcome, uh, uh, Virgil Hoftheiser, a professor emeritus at Indiana University School of Medicine from the Department of Anatomy and Cell Biology and a long list of organizations uh, spinning off of your residency at Kendall at Granville in Ohio and um, some lifelong learning concerns, and um, we want to talk about a little bit about your journey, uh, Doctor, and um, the question I think you, you, you raised in a piece of paper that Kendall sent me uh, as some background. Uh, your daughter said that she, that she calls you the poster child for retirement. It sounds like you're flunking retirement. Yeah. Would that be a fair statement? No, quite the opposite. Good. The poster child represents a person who really enjoys what they're doing. Um, when I retired, she said she wasn't worried about what I would, you know, that I, what I would do because I had such a wide range of interests. And she was absolutely right. I mean, um, retirement's so great. I don't know why I worked these forty-five years <laughs> before, before I did it. So, um, your your specific journey. Um, and one of the things you wrote uh, to me, uh, the, the, you, you had this desire to go west, and you wound up going east. But your your background post full time work at IU seems to be so general and varied. Talk to me a little bit about some of these interests in specific. I I, I wanted to ask you about this thing called aviculture, which I frankly never heard of before. So talk to me about your journey. Well. Um I grew up, uh, I was born and raised in South Dakota, but then I went to Minnesota to go to school and um, 
And then I went to Indiana to take my first job. I promised my wife we'd only be there five years. <laughs> and <laughs> How many years were you there? Uh, it was 35. Well, math is tough, you know. It's all relative, <laughs> right? And then uh, we came to Ohio to retire. And um, so it's been a gradual progression to the east, and our goal was always to move to the west. But um, we have children in four states, so we do a little traveling, but um, this will be where we're going to stay now. We're not going to move any further east. We're not going to move west. Right. So you're a resident of the Kendall facility in, in, in Ohio, correct? That's correct. And that's why we're in Ohio. We, we were looking at a retire, uh, retirement communities, and we'd looked in actually four states, and uh, we walked into um, Kendall here and said, this is the place. So talk to me a little bit about some of these interests. Your, your academic background is very varied in, in anatomy and cell biology. And so how have you translated that academic pursuit, your, quote, full-time occupation, into the next phase of your life? Well, I, I've always had an interest in, in genetics, actually. That's one of the things that took me into graduate school. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I actually taught genetics to the medical students for a few years. But um, I, I raised birds, um, mostly Australian birds. And um, it's out of an interest in genetics. They, they come in a wide variety of color mutations, and each of the color mutations have a different genetic inheritance. And so um, I can make all kinds of combinations if I have the patience as far as colors of the birds go. They're, they're small. They're very small. They're only about four inches from the very tip to oh, the wow. very okay. tip. So, so you, you raise these birds? I do. Um, I have a actually a sunroom on the cottage that we live in, and I have I've, I've cut back. I only have about 20 to 30 birds right now. Um, at one time, I had 50 in there. And before I moved here, I had 150, but um, I, I downsized when I moved. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to little birds. Yes. Yes, downsizing is the hardest thing one does, I think, in retirement. Is, um, well, I know a lot of people that I've spoken to who have downsized, quote, unquote, moving from the big house to the condo or the smaller house or to a CCRC, especially. What, why, why was that so difficult and, and, or hard, as you put it? Well, I think for most people, that's the hardest thing is we have these possessions we've accumulated over 50, 60 years, and it's hard to give up some of those. But the amazing thing is I found it amazing, liberating, because there were things that um, I had in my possession that I hadn't looked at for years. Uh, for example, books. I, have a, I had and still do, but I had a very large collection of books. And um, I only took a very small percentage of those with me here. And I haven't missed those. There's, there are libraries. There's the Internet. But... I gave up all my books, um, and it was hard, but but I, I don't miss them. But uh, whether it's books or other kinds of personal collections, you, you they're yours, and then suddenly you say, well, I don't have room for that. 
Yeah, I, I was just speaking with a friend of mine and his wife over the weekend um, who is ju- who just downsized from a huge like farmhouse that they lived in for 30 years to a, um, a much smaller house, single level. And we were talking about this, and she, the wife just basically said, listen, just take, just go in and just throw everything out because you really don't need much of anything anymore. And just it, it's dis- the discipline of getting rid of it. But as you alluded to, these are your possessions, and you touch them, especially books or something else like that. It's, it has to be very, very difficult to actually throw them away or give them away or discard them and not take them. Yes, and uh, some of our, our possessions are we offered to our children, and uh, surprisingly, they wanted very little. Yeah. <laughs> they did take our good paintings, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I know they have good taste in art. But um, they have their own possessions; they they didn't need ours. And um, but I joked; I, I told my wife that if I sorted her things and she sorted my things, we could move in a pickup but <laughs> but we didn't we each sorted our own but we have very um i don't know what overflowing hobbies uh you know she's a quilter so she has lots of material i'm a genie well we're both genealogists so we have lots of paper and um you know i had to um get rid of 14 drawers of file cabinets wow it's a big course, shredder. No. <laughs> yes, but I wanted that information. So fortunately, mm-hmm. there's the computer. But, um, but to uh, by the same token, no one wants file cabinets anymore. Right. You couldn't give those away. Um, so, uh, and we just didn't have room for for 14 filing cabinets. You're interested in, in genetics, which is a very hot topic right now. Do you keep up with in 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 this next phase of your life? The current issues are surrounding genetics and DNA and cloning, and and this seems to be explosion of genetics, even in you know cancer treatments, et cetera, et cetera. Well, yes, uh, not as much as I used to when I was working for a living, but um, it it affects our lives in so many different ways. As you mentioned, the uh, it, it has applications in medicine in treatment of of cancer now it certainly um there are big controversy in food genetically modified food um it, it's um and i i saw many of these things develop i mean when i took high school biology we didn't even know how many chromosomes the human had for sure i mean the number changed from when i was in high school till to today so mm-hmm. well let, let me rephrase that the number didn't change <laughs> But our ways of looking at this, our, the technology of looking at uh, the, the human body has changed drastically and has changed the way uh, medicine is practiced. It's changed the way we um, view many things. The food so, issue that you mentioned, uh, just let me ask you before we have to take this break, uh, the, the genetically modified food, GMOs or whatever. Um, yes. How to put to, – to, push you on this a little bit how dangerous or um, harmful uh, is this uh, genetically modified food that we many of us eat corn whatever 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 well first of all we have to talk about how it's 
genetically modified. Uh, if we look at the food that we eat, like corn or livestock or chickens, that has been genetically modified over the centuries by selective breeding, by choosing the traits you want and breeding those in. This is why we have different kinds of cattle, different kinds of dogs. Um, it's selective breeding, and that's a quote-unquote natural um, selection kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And what people are um, are concerned about is that with genetically modified, uh, this is where you take a gene from one species and transfer it to another species. And uh, that in itself may not be dangerous, but people are concerned about what that what the long-term effects are. And we don't know what the long-term effects are until long-term is up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the concern, is that people are concerned about the unknown um, because we don't know what the future of that will be. But we never know what the future is going to be for sure. Um, so, um, and and they have now modified things where they can actually modify the gene within the organism itself. And um, that is applied to other species. But I think people are concerned that this could be applied to the humans as well. But in applying it to humans, is there a potential here at also by re- by restructuring the genetic code, uh, you could conquer certain diseases? Absolutely. Um, it's always a two-edged sword. Right. I mean, uh, the same thing about uh, now in my g- genealogy studies, there is a genetic component, and people are concerned about the privacy issue involving that. Right. If, and um, so there's always a risk of, of what people could do with any kind of information that you provide them. Especially in this day and age. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, what is privacy? I mean, we, we, if you're on Facebook, people know a lot more about you than you expect them to. Whether you like it or not. <laughs> like, That's true. We're speaking yeah. with Dr. Virgil Hoftizer here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio. We'll get back to him, and uh, I want to pursue a little bit about this the genealogy thing because it seems to flow right from your uh, genetics um, issue as well, and we'll be doing that right after this word from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio was brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services in eight states that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Please join us in Together Transforming the Experience of Aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to our first segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, uh, coming to you again from the studios of WWDBAM 860 here in Philly and streaming live on WWDBAM.com. We're back with Dr. Virgil Hoftheiser, uh, retired professor, professor emeritus from Indiana University School of Medicine, the Department of Anatomy and Cell Biology, activist, uh, traveler, geneticist, and um, we're just talking a little bit about the impact of genetics. And then you alluded to the fact that you're involved a lot with genealogy and there's a linkage between the, your interest in genetics and your interest in genealogy. 
Walk me through um, this linkage, Doctor, if you will, and how does that play out in, in what you're trying to do? Well, uh, I'm not sure what you want me to talk about first. <laughs> well, let's talk about the, your interest in genealogy. Okay. Genealogy is, um, well, it's a never-ending quest. I, I started this probably 30 years ago, mainly to find out where my mother's family came from. And after 30 years, I still, I know basically what region they came from, but I don't know exactly where they all came from. But I have learned a great deal about the family, Mm -hmm. which led to um, mysteries. I mean, everybody thinks, well, let me rephrase this. Many people think they already know their genealogy because somebody else has done it. But genealogy to me is much more than just names and dates. It's it's knowing why people moved or why people did what they did or what factors affected their lives. Um, for example, I found that there's there were a lot more recessions in the olden times than I ever thought there was. I the other uh, false assumption I made is that people were born and raised in the same spot and. It may be that they were born in one spot and died in the same spot, but in between times, they went from coast to coast. I mean, they went to the California Gold Rush and back, or they went to um, the land rush in Oklahoma and and back. Um, So my quest is to find out why people did what they did. So the, your search, on, do you use a particular site? I mean, I, I know there's genealogy sites, but... Um... Well... There are, yes, there are many sites, and and the way we do genealogy has changed. Although I must say there's no substitute for being on the ground and walking the same footsteps your ancestors walked. If you can go to the town that they grew up in or or find the cemetery they're buried in, um, it it changes your perspective. So Um, you've traveled a lot. Have you done that? Have you walked that walk? In some cases, yes. Um, I, my father's family was was Dutch, mm-hmm. um, or they still are. <laughs> but I went to the Netherlands and I actually visited the farm that they left. Oh wow! 150 years ago, it was that 150th anniversary. Well, how'd that feel? How'd that feel to walk on the same uh, grounds where it, your answer did it? Did it? What did it feel like? Well, it changes. I I think it. It gives you a whole new perspective. I mean, it, it, um, to imagine that 150 years ago, that your DNA walked on that spot. Right. It, it, it um, it's mind-boggling. And then uh, recognizing that most people will say, I, well, I can trace my ancestors back to such and such a place. Well, they're tracing the paternal line only. Mm-hmm. And we have to recognize that every one of us is more than 50% of our mothers because all the mitochondria, which we've all heard now about mitochondrial DNA, mm-hmm. comes from your mother. Yeah. So that has its own DNA, and so you get all the chromosomal DNA plus the mitochondrial DNA from your mother. So we are more yeah. than 50% of our mothers. Yeah, she kept reminding me of that, believe me. It's like, <laughs> in the back of my head right now, I hear her voice saying, I told you. 
So this is the linkage then between the, the genetic issue and the genealogy issue. I have to ask you this because you see on TV, I see on TV now advertisements of you send in a swab and they'll send you back your DNA, or your genetic back. Is that, how legit is this stuff? I have done that, oh, and yeah. uh, there are actually three different companies that do this, and one will do more than others. I mean, the the common one is just um, autosomal DNA. I mean, they just do the chromosomal analysis, and they have to do only a small part of your DNA because you have to realize that we share, uh, say, 90-plus percent of our DNA with other species. We even share DNA with bumblebees as far as certain segments of the DNA. So when they do your DNA analysis, they're not doing the entire genome, but they're doing markers that they have done testing worldwide to see what markers are present in what parts of the world. So they can tell you that you come from, oh, Scandinavia or uh, Central Europe or uh, Great uh, United Kingdom. Right. Um, but they can't pinpoint it. They can't say that you come from, you know, um, a particular city. Right. Although some places in Africa, they can, uh, they have done enough studies and they have enough specific markers that they can identify a specific area, but not, but not a city, of course. So these, these companies are, You've used them, so you can you you'd say that they're worthwhile if somebody really wants to discover where they really came from, and that's it's worthwhile doing that. Well, yes. Um, if in fact one company has done over, uh, I think they said that they've done almost, I mean, a million people, but um, they'll tell you where you come from. The reason I want to do it is that if you can identify enough people who are related to you, you may be able to identify a, a common ancestor that that you didn't know. So far, I have not been able to do that because I've done so much research that I usually know more background on my family than the people that I'm related to do. So we're, we're going to start running out of time for this segment uh, real soon, and I just wanted to pursue one more issue because you, you, in the material that you sent me ahead of time, you did mention this, and I've heard this from other people who've transitioned from full-time work into something else. Um, and our, our next guest, Alan Spector, who, who really also is an expert in, in, in retirement, I'm probably going to ask him to comment on this when, when he gets on, and that's the issue of time. You you mentioned in the thing that you wrote to me, uh, you don't have enough time in retirement to do all the things that you want to do, and that's a really good thing. Um, how does that time thing play in with you? Well, I, I I say that retirement time is like dog years. It goes seven times as fast as it did before I retired. It And it's true on a daily basis. I barely get dressed in the morning and it's time to take my clothes off and go back to bed uh, because there's always something else that I would like to do, mm-hmm. that I want to do. Um, that's the joy of retirement is, is there are things that I don't have to do, and that's the joy of retirement here at Kendall is there are things I don't have to. I don't have to mow the lawn. I don't have to f- clean the gutters. I don't have to shovel the sidewalk. So I have time 
all that time to do something else. <laughs> and I don't have enough time to do it all. Right. Whether and, it's reading or writing or... Um, and you are writing, too. You, you've published some biographies? Uh, yes. Of, and I've got another one in, pro, in progress. And there's always something to do. I mean, um, there's, a, you know, this talk that you want to go to. There's this series of lectures you'd like to hear. Um, I'm involved with Lifelong Learning, uh, which is a group of people that plan presentations of, of interest to, to people. And um, it's, there's something going on every, every day. So it would be safe to assume uh, from hearing you and just this little conversation between the, the, the genetic issues, the birds, uh, the genealogy, the lifelong learning, the travel, um, it's safe to assume that you don't miss your previous life at IU. I'm surprised I don't. I mean, I really enjoyed my time with students, I, I, but um, I thought I would miss that. Mm -hmm. But there's not time. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. We've been speaking with Dr. Virgil Hoftheiser, um, emeritus professor from Indiana University, but full-time activist in a variety of different ways in his life, uh, living at Kendall in Granville, Ohio, uh, geneticist, genealogist, author, uh, traveler, and uh, citizen of the world. So, uh, Virgil, thank you very, very much for being with us here on this first segment of today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio. Take care of those birds. Oh, um, thank you. And uh, really, thank you for sharing, especially you know, some of those insights about the genetics and, and some of those other things that you're talking about. I wish you continued success in everything. Take care. Stay healthy. Thank you. Take care. Uh, we'll be back with our second segment here with uh, Alan Spector and talking about your retirement quest, 10 secrets for creating and living a fulfilling retirement. I think we just heard a couple of those secrets right now from Virgil. Uh, and we'll be doing so right after this little musical bridge today. It's a beautiful sunny day in, in uh, Philadelphia. So uh, we'll channel a little Ray Charles for you today.
dollars in town. I got a dollar and a quarter and I'm just running the clock. But don't let no female play me cheap. I got 50 cents more than I'm gonna keep. So let the good time roll now. I tell y'all I'm gonna let the good time roll now. Well, it don't make no difference if you're young or old. All you got to do is get together and let the good time roll. Welcome back to our second segment on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, coming to you from WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia. And we're streaming live all over the known universe, I think, or I hope, on WWDBAM.com. And again, you can reach us at Boomer Generation Radio at gmail.com or like us on the Facebook page of Boomer Generation Radio, Boomer Generation Radio on Facebook. And a reminder that the shows are podcasted on my website, jewishsacredaging.com. We are very pleased to welcome in studio, having driven in specifically, just all the way from St. Louis, Missouri, long commute, uh, Alan Spector, um, from yourretirementquest.com. Um, your Retirement Quest, Your Retirement Quest, the Y, the R, and the Q are capitalized, right? You got it. You got so it. welcome. Welcome to Philadelphia. Thank welcome you, Richard. To Great your, to be here. Your, um, <clears throat> the book, Your Retirement Quest, 10 Secrets for Creating and Living a Fulfilling Retirement. So we just talked to Virgil, who seems to be living a, a very fulfilling retirement. Um, you, you moved from the corporate world, Procter & Gamble, into this next phase of your life, dealing with um, helping people plan and deal with their own transitions. Do we get? Do we need to like scrap the word retirement? Because I hate the word. I I I think it's a horrible word. Well, that's actually pretty perceptive. Our the second chapter in our book is called "Retirement is the Wrong Word." Yeah. So we spend the whole chapter talking about why it's the wrong word, and then at the end we say, "But we're going to use it anyway because everybody kind of gets what it means." Boomers uh, Boomers are really changing this, aren't they? I mean, they're really changing the concept of. Of retirement, they are, and we are, yeah. um, absolutely. And and actually, that your previous guest is uh, an example of what got us in. And I say us because Keith Lawrence and I co-authored the book. Farmer Proctor and Gamble, colleague of mine who lives in Cincinnati, um, we actually got into this because we had we were approaching retirement, began talking to our colleagues who had already retired expecting them all to be having the the kind of energizing retirement that your first guest described. And we're actually surprised that that wasn't the case. We had a number of them who were, uh, I would call, failing retirement, struggling, looking for what to do, bored. It's fearful. It, it's, it's a fear because you're it used is. to, right? It People is. used to. I see this with some of my colleagues in clergy. They're used to 30, 40 years every day on call 
and all of a sudden the phone doesn't ring. That's classic, just yeah. classic. There's so many things that show up for you when you're working, whether it's in the clergy or corporate or at a university or wherever you might be. They just show up for you on a daily basis, and then the next day they don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you don't spend some time thinking about what that phase of your life is going to look like, the risk is is that you fall into some of the challenges that over time we've uh, we've identified, and partially the reason that we wrote the book is, as we said, hey, this isn't what we want to happen for us. Maybe we can learn enough to share with others, and that has led to the book and workshops and a bunch of other things that we've been doing now for eight or one nine of, years. One of our regular guests, Peter Hecht from Hecht Investment, um, talks about um, the need for in the financial world to start creating a financial plan for transition way ahead of the actual time. And so what I'm picking up from the book and from our conversations, that that, that, that's, that planning has to begin not like six months before your you know retirement date, but perhaps maybe six years. That's actually a sweet spot. We kind of think in the six to five to ten year range mm-hmm. as being ideal. And as a matter of fact, we work with a lot of financial advising firms to work with their clients at that stage to not only say, hey, what is my financial plan going to be, but what's really the life plan that this financial plan is going to um, to support? We've, act- we've actually also had the opportunity to um, uh, develop and share with now thousands of people the concept of practicing retirement. Wow. So if you're five years from retirement, and you spend a little bit of effort thinking about what are those things I want to do in retirement, how do you bring them into your life today? There's all kinds of benefits in doing that, The most of which is if those are things you're going to enjoy later, why not enjoy them now? Uh, but it also gives you a chance to um, test your uh, retirement uh, plan, your life plan. You know, my, my co-author, Keith Lawrence, thought he wanted to teach uh, when he retired, so he got a teaching gig locally in Cincinnati and absolutely hated it for a whole bunch of reasons wow. and said, well, change of plan. So when he entered retirement, teaching wasn't a part of it and made his transition a lot smoother because he didn't have to, like, figure it out later. So, yes, getting ahead of that whole curve is a good thing to do. So have you come across people who practice the art of denial? who say, I'll worry about that when the time comes. I can't wait to just be able to get up in the morning and not have to worry about doing anything. And then, you know, uh, it's just sort of like ease into it. Uh, Bingo. Uh, We actually identified a number of myths that people have about entering retirement. One of them is, I'll figure this out later. And we've now interviewed thousands of people over the last decade on this. And what we find is, is people who make that choice, don't figure it out later. They tend to fall into a very narrow comfort zone, um, a, nar- a rut, if you will, and they really don't take full advantage of the time, like your first guest has, of identifying their passions and pursuing them. Uh, they spend a lot of time in front of the television set and social media and those <laughs> sorts of things. I mean, it, it, we kid about that, but it's not no. trivial. Uh, the average retiree spends almost 50 hours a week watching television. Really? Take that time now. Yeah. So you don't, right? Nothing, I don't. It's not 50 hours a week exactly. to watch. Well, <laughs> it's quality. Well, that's well, that's a whole part of the problem. Uh, but if you, if you add social media to that, now take that time and apply it to the kinds of things your first guest is doing, right. and retirement shows up very differently. What about 
Alan, what about money? I mean, there's a there may be an assumption that you know, but there's a lot of people who are going to who are going to be retiring, not necessarily by by choice, but they're in a position where there's a retirement age or whatever, but they really don't have the finances to support 20 or 30 years more of life. It's a big issue, uh, a, a huge issue. Um, and, and it's a reason that as we identify what we call the 10 key elements of a fulfilling retirement, one of those is financial security. Many people, as they plan for retirement, think about only financial security in their plans, important, critical, necessary, but far from sufficient to create the retirement that you really you really want. So we talk about financial security, by the way, not as the size of the nest egg, but rather living to your available resources. So it has to do with budgeting and and all of those sorts of things. That being said, a number of people, a large percentage of people, haven't put away the kinds of funds necessary to live the life that they want. Right. I've seen some statistics in the baby boomer work that I do around the country that the – the majority of our generation, not a few, but the majority of our generation does not have enough money saved for retirement. That's true. That being said, one of the things that we've done in the book, Your Retirement Quest, is is to profile a number of people who by anybody's imagination have huge nest eggs mm-hmm. and are failing retirement. And there are people in our book we've profiled who have very small nest eggs or living on Social Security or a little bit of a, pun- a pension who are just rocking and rolling in retirement because they've identified the things that are going to energize them on a daily basis. As a matter of fact, the working title of our book was uh, The Best Things in Retirement Are Free. We found out right before we published that people who were looking at that were thinking about, oh, those are cheap hotel rooms in Florida. It's like, no, 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 no. (laughs) So we had to kind of rewrite the book around the new concept. But the point is still well taken is, is many of these key elements that we have take relatively little financial resources in order to bring them into your into your life. You, you, we've talked, uh, and, and you write a lot about finding your passion. What does that mean? So uh, similar to your, your previous guess, what is it that makes you want to get up in the morning and get going? What is it that when you're doing, you lose track of time? It's like, oop, I missed lunch because I was, and you know, in my case, I might be writing because I, I, one of the things I've been doing in retirement is being an author. Um, and I realize I've been writing for four hours and haven't taken a break, which, by the way, isn't a good idea, but that's a whole other thing. Um, and so it's identifying those things that you really love to do. And there's an interesting question that we ask people that tend to get them thinking about this. So let me ask it of you, Richard. Uh oh. What did you love to do when you were ten years old? What did you <laughs> love I to remember do? when I was ten years well, old. Well okay, some people have a difficult time doing that, but for me it was baseball and books. Well, so if I was playing well, baseball playing or I had baseball. a book in my hand. And if you can kind of relive that and bring those you know, in an adult way into your life, uh that's one way to think about what your passions are. Why? Because by the time you're 10 years old, you're old enough to know what you like to do, but life hasn't kind of caught up with you and squashed your your passions. Uh, so that's just one of the many questions we ask people to think about. And and some people struggle with figuring out what their passions are. You can talk about it as hobbies. Uh, you can talk about it as uh, as pursuits. Um, listening to what other people are doing. Uh, your previous guest raises birds. That's not something I'm interested in, but 
if somebody else hears that, they go like, ooh, that sounds interesting. Let me look into that. So there are ways to develop your passions and, or to understand them. And then the key is to pursue them. Uh, and some people know what the passions are and don't actually go out and do something about it. Now, we've, we've interviewed a couple of, well, not a couple, uh, several people over the course of the last several years who, baby boomers, who have transitioned out of the corporate world or what, and I mean, even from medicine to, you know, corporate executives. And they basically said, I've always wanted to do this. I've always wanted to run my own business. I would, and they just do it. I mean, A, they had the financial ability to do that, and that's true. But it was, they realized that with longevity and God willing hope, health and hope, um, this was the time. This was the time that they were able to do that. Right. So I think that's part of the risk. There's an element of, of, of risk taking and self assurance in this, isn't there? There is. And, and one of the things that we, um, emphasize is that those people who are predisposed to say yes to opportunities mm-hmm. are ones who tend to ro- again be rocking and rolling in retirement recognizing that it might not work out but there'll be another opportunity if you're listening for them and looking for them right to say yes to and so you may not do the same thing next year that you're doing this year and i've got examples in my life that are like that but uh start on something uh and be predisposed to say yes and you, you tend to do t- take that first step. Yourretirementquest.com. Uh, if somebody wants to get involved with the book, um, where do they? How do they contact you? How do they get a hold of the book? Well, the book is available on, on Amazon. So just look up Your Retirement Quest, and we've got a contact page on our on our website. So get in touch if you have any questions. The other thing you can do is, is we do have a Facebook group called Your Retirement Quest, and Keith and I continuously post retirement relevant relevant information that's on that site so that people your... can pose questions and it's we call it the it, it, the retirement conversation so uh, it's somewhat interactive then. yeah right so we, your your retirement quest is, on is Facebook, the name of a group on facebook. On, facebook. On, on on facebook right we'll be back with alan specter uh, author of your retirement quest i want to talk to you a little bit about some of the workshops you're involved with and and get these 10 secrets i want these 10 secrets before we leave today so i can they're secrets. I don't have to worry about anything. We'll be doing that right after this message from our friends down the street from Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall. Founded on Quaker principles, Kendall provides independent living, assisted living, memory support, skilled nursing, and rehabilitation care for older adults in eight states. Whether you're looking for the intellectual and cultural stimulation of a college town or a big city, Kendall has a community for you. We are together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more, visit kendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to our second segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio. We're with uh, Alan Spector from YourRetirementQuest.com and the author of Your Retirement Quest. You do. You mentioned before, Alan. You do workshops around the country on just what we're talking about, correct? We do, and uh, and what we learned early on uh, from financial services firms is is that there are some of them who understand that um, financial 
planning is about more than just the money. Uh, it's about really helping people create the life that they want to live. So financial services firms sponsor us and put us in front of their clients and our prospective clients uh, to help them, the clients understand that there's this other side to planning beyond financial. And so we run workshops where we help people think about the challenges of retirement, the opportunities, expanding their view about what's possible. And then importantly, we walk them through an assessment of where they are in their lives today relative to those opportunities and actually start them on the development of their life plan with some very simple tools. So this is not about spending your whole retirement planning your retirement. It's about using a couple of simple tools, and the tools are in the book as well and on the website. And you do this not only for individuals, but we were talking before the show. You, you do this for, for companies, corporations who are in transition themselves? We do. Uh, uh, corporate uh, Corporations have put us in front of their most senior employees uh, to help them think about the transition that's coming up. Uh, financial services firms, as I said, put us in front of their, in front of their clients. Uh, so most of that, actually most of what we do is um, – is for groups as opposed to uh, individuals, although Keith and I do some individual retirement coaching as well. But most of it is about we're in front of 30 to 50 to sometimes 150 people um, running these workshops. So the 10 suggestions, the 10 keys, uh, walk me through some of the things that, you know, I don't – you don't have to go through all 10 unless you want to, but, <laughs> you know, what are the ones that really come up over and over, the things that really are, are formative? One of the things that surprised us uh, is that many people enter retirement not having really had a deep discussion with a significant other, those closest to them, whoever that might be, about what their plans are, and yet their retirement is going to affect that person and vice versa. So one of the secrets we talk about is is that retirement is kind of a team sport. Right? Mm-hmm. And we we developed something that they can that, that folks can find on our website called the crucial conversations. What are those conversations that might be helpful to have before you retire, but if you haven't had them after you retire, to make sure that everybody is aligned on their on their uh, on the on the retirement plans. We actually uh, my co-author Keith Lawrence talked to a person in Cincinnati some months ago and said who was he, approaching retirement. And he said, uh, so when are you going to retire? And the guy said, never. Why is that? Well, because my wife and I know that when I retire, she wants to live here. I want to live there. We know we'll never agree, so I'm never going to retire. Mm-hmm. And it's like, seems to me that some conversation ought to be able to sort that out. So one of the secrets is, is to treat retirement as a team sport uh, and uh, have conversations with those closest to you to to sort those kinds of things out. And what's the greatest challenge that you've found? You've talked to hundreds of people, thousands of people now in in this enterprise um, with your retirement quest. Try to summarize for me. What's the greatest challenge that people face? Is it fear? Is it is is it the unknown? Is it leaving the security of the known job? Uh, what is it? I th- Kind of to generalize it, I would yeah. say that the greatest challenge – is to not recognize the size of the transition. We talked a little bit earlier about all the things that show up to you on a daily basis at work just because you show up at work. There's a structure. 
there's a, a level of accountability, there's intellectual stimulation, there's camaraderie, there's so many things. You just walk in the office, you walk into, into a classroom, you walk into your office, whatever. Um, and then the next day it does, it's not there. And, and the challenge, the greatest challenge, again, in general is, is folks entering retirement without having thought about that at all. And then realizing, ooh, now what do I do? And sometimes, again, depending on on who they are, that becomes too late, and there are actually, you know, physical and mental issues that can derive uh, from uh, symptoms of depression to everything else. So I don't want to get morose about it, no, but, no, no, but no. some of the issues get pretty drastic, and when we say that in a workshop – Virtually everybody nods their head and eventually says either myself, my spouse, somebody I know is dealing with, and and the word depression gets used a lot, even though it's not necessarily clinical depression, but but it's very true. It's an, it's a, it's a huge issue, and so so the if we again you talked about this five to ten years out being a sweet spot if you can get ahead of it, practice retirement. Have the crucial conversations with those around you. There are ways to get at this so that you're not surprised, if you will, by this this new phase of life, but can take advantage of it, not the opportunity. No, I, I think you've, you've probably seen, just from what you're saying, people who really just move into this phase of their life without any idea of what they're doing. Not only is there mental, but there's a physical health component, too, that uh, every little quirk, every little pain, every little, you know, instead of having... That purpose when you get up in the morning, we dwell on the my knee hurts. Um, exactly, and, exactly. And and as a matter of fact, and again, not to be morose about it, no, but it's real. It's the real. The two most dangerous years of our lives are the year we're born and the year we retire. Really, from a mortality standpoint, yeah. Um, and and Keith and I have lost several PNG colleagues very quickly after retirement because. I'm not a I'm not a medical professional, but we've it's been explained to us that when we're working, um, the 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 stress, the adrenaline, has our immune systems working on full tilt as well, and then we shut that all down. Well, the immune system can come down. People who go on two week vacations frequently come back with a cold. It's the same pieces. Like the immune system shuts down with the adrenaline. And there are some issues that can derive. So again, I don't want to overplay that. No, but there's a but lot it's, of it's there's important. A, there's a lot of mental stuff into this. It's not just um, you know I'm leaving work and I'll just go fishing. There's a lot of mental when you. It, it's been explained to everybody, you know that that um, you know the the mind, the brain is a muscle, uh, and we've had people on the show talk about that. And if you stop using it, then I mean, I'm a holistic person. I'm the mind, body, spirit type of stuff. It all interconnects. As we were interviewing people who had previously retired uh, about what their big issues were, uh, about what their big issues were, it was not uncommon for them to say in one way or another, I have not found a way to replace the intellectual stimulation that I naturally got at work. And so, again, that's part of this life planning thing is, like your first guess, he's doing continual um, education kinds of things. Great. Oh, no, look, uh, you, all you have to do is go around. The, the baby boom generation is f- are flooding universities, uh, lifelong learning programs, uh, travel programs, because, they, A, they have the time. Some of them have the money. But also there's an intellectual stimulation, uh, which is absolutely key. I, that I believe 100%. 
Um, I just want to pursue one more thing um, because we only have about four minutes left. Okay. So I'm holding your one of your other books. <laughs> <laughs> and since you mentioned the great uh, baseball, the other this book is called Never Too Old to Play the Game. A lifelong relationship with the game we love. You're involved with this in a um, in a league, right? Back home in St. Louis. Yeah, actually, I've had the opportunity uh, since I don't know for 15 or 16 years now to get back into playing baseball. I played in high school, I played in college, and then like Life many of those, over. we went yeah. on to play softball, right? Um, and uh, I got back into playing baseball, and it was actually baseball that got me into writing uh, because I was sitting in a dugout in Fort Myers, Florida, in the middle of winter playing a baseball game, looking around and surrounded by other 60-ish kinds of players going like, hmm, somebody needs to tell this story. So that's what eventually led to writing my first book. But I'm 70, and I'm still playing in a base, in a baseball league in St. Louis. It's a 60 and over league. Right. Uh, so I, it's kind of kids my own age. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, but there are tournaments actually that no, are I being know. played now that are 70 and over, 75 and over. Um, so yeah, so I'm still playing the game that I love and uh, and love and uh, and love and enjoying it. So. Uh, as a as a person who does uh, has been has been known to obsess about baseball, there is a there is a linkage though, isn't it, between this concept of of, of playing in the league and what you're doing professionally uh, with with uh, your retirement quest. What's that linkage? I think it's a really important linkage. Um, so. The linkage goes back to these 10 key elements that I was describing to you. And just a couple of the key elements to give you an idea are, um, are, um, connect, what we call connectedness and being a part of a community, whether it's a, a synagogue or a church community, whether it's part of a baseball community. Being connected to others is important to both longevity and quality of life. Right. Identifying and pursuing your passions keeps you energized uh, about per, in retirement. Um, and by the way, I practiced retirement with baseball. Uh, my wife, Ann, who's in the studio today, and I both uh, uh, played. We, we traveled to tournaments before we retired to make sure that that's what we wanted to do. And, uh, and so there's a, there's a very strong linkage between any passion that you have and pursue to making sure that that you have the fulfilling life that you deserve in retirement. We have, we have one minute left in this segment. The and it's a good place to end. The concept of community really is key, isn't it? Relationships, social relationships. Every study I've read says that is one of the keys for longevity and health, maintaining active, productive social relationships, whether it's on the baseball field or anywhere else. Or, and I think there's two sides of that, Richard. One is community, being part of a group. But the other part is having deep, nurtured, personal relationships. We call them 2 o'clock in the morning friends. Right. Those yeah. people who you could call at 2 o'clock in the morning, no questions asked. They'd be on the way to you to help if you needed help. So it's both sides of that, groups and individuals. We've been speaking with uh, Alan Spector from YourRetirementQuest.com. That's the website, YourRetirementQuest.com. The the your, the why, the R, and retirement, and the Q and Quest are capitalized. There's a Facebook page we can go to, learn more about these um, 10 keys to uh, retirement planning. Your retirement quest is the book available on Amazon. Uh, Alan, thank you very much. And My pleasure. Thank you for Thanks. coming. Thank you for driving in all the way from St. Louis. Louis. Actually, from the Jersey Shore. Well, but that's it's I mean. almost the same thing. <laughs> and um, 
Hopefully we'll see you in the playoffs, although it's going to be a little while for the fight in Phils to get there. <laughs> uh, to all of you, thank you again for joining us on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio. We'll see you next week. Uh, in the meantime, have a great week, everyone, and stay healthy, stay safe. <laughs>